In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we are presented with God's wonderful plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save for himself a diverse family of saints who are being transformed by Jesus to live like Jesus. This is Galatians, God's very good idea. And we are Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. When I was, I think, probably 13 or 14 years old, um, I had an expanded radius around our house. I grew up in the west end of Huntington. There was an expanded radius in which I was allowed to ride my bike and kind of explore the, the stend, if you will. And I had a friend across the street named Gary, and we would do a lot of that exploring and bike riding and, and all of that stuff together. But in my early teens, we got the idea that, because there was this friend I had from church, and Gary knew him from school, and he lived in the East End all the way down near the main river park circle. So we said, let's, let's ride our bikes down there. My, my mom has said, I need to be back in two hours. We can do that in two hours. They'll never know. And so for like three weeks, we did that periodically, not every day, but periodically we would go to the East End. We would, would hang out with, with our friend Luke, come back. My parents were none the wiser until they were the wiser. I don't remember how they found out, but they did. And after that came the punishment, which was probably the most severe punishment I received as as a child. Because I wasn't as grounded to the house, but for multiple weeks I was grounded to my room. I was allowed to come out to eat, but that was it. I was grounded to my room. And I don't remember how many weeks. My parents were on vacation with limited cell service this week, so I couldn't call to check in on the on the details but it was multiple weeks I felt confined so what had what had happened is although I was still a child of my parents right was still a bokel I still was a member I lived for a season shackled by my parents righteous and just rules Paul's going to make a similar illustration today and he's going to show us today that the gospel of Jesus has the power to break our chains and make us children. It's probably one of my favorite condensed parts of this entire book, uh, verses 1 through 7. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us by your good grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we move into chapter 4. Paul starts out, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Now, that may sound over the top, right? Like you might say, that sounds kind of like my kids. My kids talk like that. They don't know how good they have it. That's why I laugh when I read it, because my kids whine and moan sometimes as if they were slaves, as if their life is just in a really terrible place. But another reason it sounds so far over the top is because of our understanding of what slavery is. Our understanding of slavery is an American understanding of slavery. And an American understanding of slavery is, is one that is significantly harsher than it would have been in the Roman, the days of the Roman kingdom, the days of, of uh, the Jewish kingdom, especially, especially among the Jews. 
They had laws in place actually to protect their slaves. And slaves in that day were paying off a debt. And when the debt was paid off, they were then free. The only way you would be enslaved for a lifetime is if your debt was so monumental, either because of a crime or, or because of your need for you know, some sort of uh, um, uh, payment towards something, you would be enslaved. But there was the chance for freedom. You could pay your way to freedom. You could work your way to freedom. Obviously, that's very different than American slavery where there was no chance for freedom. Not only that, but generationally, the, the uh, kids and the grandkids would also be property. There's a big difference between being owned as property or being indebted to someone. And so when he uses that illustration, he's using it in that context, not our context. And so it makes a little more sense when you think of it that way, that a child right, stands to inherit all that belongs to their parents, but yet they have to submit to their parents. Sometimes they get stuck in their room for multiple weeks and can only come out for meals. And in that sense, they don't have any, any rights to, to determine what happens with the things that they stand to inherit. They don't get to choose what happens with their inheritance. They're not in control of it, of it yet. So it makes a huge difference that we understand slavery in, in that day. So that's where that illustration comes from. He gives further clarity in verse 2. He says, For he, this child, is under guardians and managers until the date that is set by, by his father. That word guardian showed up at the end of chapter 3, if you remember last week. Um, and it's an interesting word. It's actually a different Greek word in chapter 3. Pedagogos. They told me they were going to use songs without stomping in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the actions. But, uh, you know, when you're dancing, you're dancing, right? I told them, I said, I swear the music's not going to be the problem. It's going to be the feet that are the problem. However, I'm so deeply thankful that they are singing songs about Jesus to Jesus, and they will be learning at an age-appropriate way about Jesus together. It's a beautiful thing. I'll take all the noise in the world. I'm fine with that. Our children are growing in Christ-likeness. In chapter 3, the word for uh, guardian was pedagogos, which is very similar in meaning to the word he uses here. Now, we don't know why Paul changed his, his word choice here because they very much mean the same thing. Um, but he uses a word that is pronounced uh, epitra uh, epitrapos, which is the same thing, a guardian. The, tra the tradition would be, right, and I think this was interesting, I didn't talk about this last week, rich families, families with a lot of wealth, with an inheritance for their children, would actually hire something like a nanny, but they would be called a, a guardian, a, a moral caretaker for their child. And what they would do is enforce the rules the teachings, the regulations of the, of the parents. Um, and so they were in charge to watch over the child, to train their public behavior and to keep them safe. But whatever that guardian said, that's what went. Whatever the moral caretaker said, that's what went. They had no control. And so in that sense, they were like, like slaves. Far cry from American slavery, but... Uh, but they had a bright future. There was a day that was set by their parents. There was a day that was set by their father when they would have freedom and inheritance 
and life outside of this guardian. They had something to look to, a hope that was before them. Paul sees that hope and he applies this to us. He says, in the same way, we. Now, we, we don't know exactly who that we is. It's either the churches of Galatia and the people that are in those churches of Galatia, or he's referring to his fellow Jews, those people who were brought up as ethnic Jews in the practice of Judaism. But he says, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, who the we is determines what he means by elementary principles. If he's addressing the Jews, then what he means by elementary principles is the law. That's what he spent this whole uh, book talking about up till now. He keeps coming back to the law. But what makes this tricky is that in verse 9, he's going to use that term again, elementary principles, and he's going to use it to refer to the Galatians' beliefs in uh, practices of paganism, practices of, of idol worship. So it could be either, but I like that it could be either because it, it helps us to insert ourselves into the application, into the illustration. We can see ourselves there. He says if to the Jews, they can see themselves there. As the Judaizers came in, they said, the law is like graduate school. Jesus can save you almost, but you need to take some extra classes in circumcision. You need to take some extra classes in, in kosher dieting. You need to take some extra classes uh, when it comes to how you observe the Sabbath to really graduate. And, and Paul says, no, it's more like K through 5. That's what the law is like. The law is K through 5. Grace through faith in Jesus is graduate school. To the Galatians, if they can, they read themselves into this passage, those elementary principles could be very easily translated elemental principalities. So in that area, they would worship the earth and the wind and the fire, not the band, but the actual elements. And they would, they would uh, give themselves over to the worship of false God. We see ourselves there too. We were slaves to sin. Jesus says that. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, this is John 8, 34, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Do you remember that time in your life where, and some, for some of us it was very young, so maybe it's hard for us to remember, where we had no choice but to submit to our own selfish desires. We did not have the power to overcome our anger. We did not have the power to overcome our uh, our actions, our addictions. We were slaves to sin. Before Christ, and some, sometimes still today, although we are now free and we have the power for victory over them, we still succumb to our desires and our pursuits and our allegiances and our goals and our dreams that are outside of the ways of God. And in that, we're reminded that we were once slaves. Paul is calling his hearers to remember that time because against that dark backdrop comes this amazing light that he's about to... Oh, and these are some of my favorite verses. Because what you're about to hear is the gospel. And the gospel shines brightest against the backdrop of our brokenness and our sinfulness and our inability to save ourselves. What you're about to hear is the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. You've already heard it today. You heard it in the songs that we sang. 
You heard it in the prayers that were prayed. Like I already alluded to, it's being proclaimed above us in this room up here. It was proclaimed in our gospel community groups. As we celebrate communion, it'll be proclaimed again. We will continue to proclaim the gospel until Mercy Village Church is no more. And if it ever stops being proclaimed multiple times every Sunday and throughout the week, then you guys can go ahead and put me out to pasture. Because that's what I am called to, and that's what we are called to, is to sit under the teaching of the gospel, to be transformed by the gospel. We'll never stop doing it. And my prayer for us is that our hearts will always flutter at the sound of the gospel. That our eyes will moisten at the sound of the gospel. That the synapse in our brains will fire at the sounds of the gospel. That our hands and feet will grow restless. That the storms inside of us will be calmed. That our resolve for this life will be strengthened. That our souls will come alive always at the teaching of the the gospel. Because we too were slaves, but God, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The gospel story is a gospel, is a story of providence. It's a story of perfect timing when the fullness of time had come. It might not feel like this for you in your life right now, perhaps because of circumstances and situations, but Jesus came at the right time, and God's timing is always perfect. Jesus wasn't late, Jesus wasn't early. Jesus was right on time, and God's timing is perfect. So maybe you're waiting for something, or maybe something came uh, uh, into your life faster than you wanted it to. Know that God's timing is perfect, and the gospel story is a story of perfect timing. Not only that, but the gospel story is a, a story of divine origin. God sent forth His Son. God did the sending. Sent proclaims the divine nature of Jesus. Jesus was fully God. Just listen to some of these. Uh, Jesus existed before Bethlehem. You know that, right? That wasn't the first encounter with Jesus. He existed before that. He existed eternally. All things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, were created by Him. That's Colossians 1. He's the possessor of full equality with God. That's Philippians chapter 2. He's fully God overall. That's Romans 9, 5. He's fully sinless. No sin in Him. He's without blemish or spot. That's 1 Peter 1. Jesus is God completely and without question. Fully God. That matters deeply. But that's not where the story ends because... Jesus has that hypostatic union thing going on, which means he's both fully God and fully human. He was born of woman. Sent from God speaks to Jesus being fully divine. Born of woman speaks to Jesus being fully human. In Aladdin, right? When uh, Aladdin tricks Jafar into wishing that he could be a genie, he's got that lamp in his hand, and he says, uh, phenomenal cosmic powers, and then Jafar is sucked into that land because that's the gospel. All the cosmic powers of God confined and squeezed into this tiny little baby born in a manger. 
The fancy term for that is hypostatic union. The simple term is personal union. But either way, good good luck wrapping your brain around it. The hypostatic union. But for the soul, it's, it's infinitely sweet. Martin Luther calls us, he says, run directly to the manger and to the mother's womb. Embrace this infant and virgin's child in your arms and look at him. All the power of God, but yet born, being nursed, growing up, going about in human society, teaching, dying, rising again, ascending above the heavens and having authority over all things. In this way, you can shake off all terrors and errors as the sun dispels the clouds. Because God, fully God, is powerful and strong. But God, God in Jesus, fully human, is a God who meets you where you are. Who walks with you. Who knows your weaknesses and your troubles. And can be with you in them. God is, Jesus is fully God and, and fully man. What a sweet and beautiful mystery. So the gospel story is a story of providence. It's a story of divine origination. It's a story of of incarnation. And it's a story of of submission to the Father. He was born under the law. He submitted himself to to God's uh, law. Now when you hear that, don't just hear gritty obedience, that Jesus just kind of gritted it out to obey the law. But instead, I want you to hear our Savior, see our Savior joyfully. Submitting to his father. Walking arm in arm with him, side by side with him on mission. And that's the same image for our obedience. Oftentimes we think of obedience to God as grit, as just kind of having to work it out. But might we come to see obedience as the opportunity to walk with our big brother Jesus? alongside God our Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Undeserving of grace, but just tickled pink that we get to walk with our Father. That we get to walk with God in obedience. So the gospel story keeps getting better, though, because though it's providence and divine origin and incarnation and submission to the Father, those are just reasons to worship God, but they aren't yet good news for the slave, but... Paul gets to that in verse 5. The reason for all of this was to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The gospel story is a story of redemption and it's a story of adoption. At the right time, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised again the third day in accordance with the scripture. And he did so to redeem those who were under the law. Redemption is more than rescue. He talks about rescue in chapter 1 verse 4 when he says that God came to deliver, or Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil age. Now he says he's not just our rescue, he's our Redemption. He brought atonement and redemption. Those words are siblings, by the way. Atonement is a fancy word for payment. And that payment has a result, and the fancy word for that is redemption. But in the ancient world, the primary understanding of the church at Galatia and of all the, uh, the people who would read this, when they heard that word redemption, they would think primarily of slaves being bought out of slavery. <coughs> And that's beautiful. Freedom purchased for us by the finished work 
of Jesus on the cross. For we're not just saved from something, we're saved into something. The gospel story is a story of adoption that we might receive adoption as sons. Atonement and adoption. Now, by the way, this isn't, this isn't a sexist verse by just saying sons. This is actually an all-encompassing verse, right, that is spoken into the context of, a tra- of traditions where only the firstborn son would receive the inheritance. And what Paul says is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free, regardless of birth order, regardless of DNA, regardless of gender, are seen as firstborn sons. You are given the rights the privileges of firstborn sons. You stand as heirs to the kingdom. God made us all positionally like firstborn sons. Adoption's beautiful. Adoption made my family conspicuous. We talked about that last week. If you look at my family, it's obvious that it's not all DNA. Something else happened to cause our family to be the way it was. But you know what's not worried about DNA? My wife and I's final will and testament. It has no DNA test attached to it. It has names. And one of those names is of a, a daughter born to another, but yet who stands with all the rights and privileges and position and power of her brothers. The twist with the gospel is that it is our brother, our big brother, Jesus, who paid the cost of our our adoption, who did the work for our adoption so that we could be brought into a relationship with God and have an eternal inheritance with him. In Christ alone, by grace through faith, we go from chains to children. This is the story of the Jewish people who came to faith in Christ. This is the story of the the people in the churches of Galatia who came into the family of God through Christ. And if you are in Christ today, this is your story. To have gone from chains to children. He celebrates it. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Hear me today, you you have a father. Some of you no longer have a father. Some of you never knew your father. Maybe death took your father. Maybe distance by his own choice or his apathy or, or his irresponsibility took your father. Others of you still have a father, maybe a very good one, but not like this one, not like this father. Hear me, everything bad about your father, if you have, if you have a dad who has maybe wounded you, broken your trust, everything bad about your father is an absence of the heavenly father. And everything good about your father is just a 
dusty reflection of the perfection of your Heavenly Father. So regardless of if you still have your Father, you have a greater Father. And if you don't have your Father, you have a Father. And He says, cry out to Me. If you're afraid in the night, Papa, Daddy. If you have something to celebrate, Daddy, Daddy, guess what? Come to God that way. If you feel unseen, Daddy, watch this, He sees you. He knows you. If you feel weary and battered, Papa, Daddy, hold me. You lost, you're lost and confused, Daddy, what should I do you have have a father and he will never 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 tire of you crying out to him papa daddy by the way he sent that spirit into you do you read the verse god sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying abba father he put that there inside of you he wants you to cry out to him he'll never grow weary of parents who have heard it or that are waiting to hear it. I, when that first kid says, Dada or Mom, just melt your brain. And me, an earthly father, never, never grow weary of hearing my children call me Dad. I may grow weary of the timing, God never does. But I certainly never grow weary of the God is infinitely better than me at being a father. He never grows weary of the timing of your cries out to him. He never grows weary of the title. He never grows weary of the responsibility. So go to him. Papa, Daddy, Abba, Father. Good news about having such a great dad is that you don't just have a father, but you have an inheritance. So you're no longer slaves but sons, and if sons, then an heir through God. All that belongs to God is is yours. By grace, through faith in Jesus. Now, I'm going to say that again. That's huge. All, everything, that belongs to God, if you're a Christian, is your inheritance. Yours. That's why. That's why we can be people of generosity. We can give away our time and our treasures and our talents because we're bankrolled with an eternal inheritance. The trust fund will never expire, it cannot be exhausted. All that belongs to God is, is yours. And so in light of that, we can give freely. And in, and in light of that, think about this too, because it fits in the context of the passage. We as a family are all equal heirs to the kingdom of God. Okay? And like last week, Paul called us out. And he said, I want you as Christians to love one another, right? Regardless of if these people, folks annoy you, if these folks seem odd to you, these folks don't 
vote like you or, or don't share the exact same politics as you. If we are in Christ, we are heirs together of the kingdom. Listen, you don't get a better share of the kingdom because you are a certain way. So we can love our fellow heirs to the kingdom equally. Because the gospel of Jesus has the power to break our chains and and make us children. If you're not part of the family, you can be part of the family today. John 1, 12 and 13, But to all who did receive him, Jesus who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, right? This isn't a a natural birth. It's a spiritual birth. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And because it's a supernatural, (coughs) spiritual birth, there's nothing that can interfere with it because God controls it. And God says, if you come to me by grace, through faith in Jesus then you will be part of my family. You can have a father. You can have an inheritance today through faith in Jesus. His finished work on the cross paid the price for your atonement and redemption and your adoption into the family. Trust Jesus today. And if you're like feeling the need to trust Jesus today, but you have questions about what that looks like, I will, I will stop any conversation that I'm having after church to have that one with you. Please come find me. And if you are part of the family, let's, let's live in light of our identity. We're children of God. Two things with that. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're not a slave to legalism. You're not a slave to idolatry. Those things still tempt us. We still falter and fail with those things, but we're not slaves to them. We have, by grace through faith, the ability to live in the victory that is ours in Jesus. So might we be people who are living more and more in victory day by day. And number two, go to your Father. If I could, if I could have us leave with anything today, it would be to go to your Father. There's all sorts of ways we do that through the disciplines of, of studying the Word, memorizing Scripture. We do that in community, gathered on Sundays and, and in other places. We do that through fasting. We do, there's all sorts of disciplines we do that through, but might we be people of prayer? And if all our prayer is is a broken, weary, hurting Abba Father, might we be people who pray? Go to your Father. So live in light of your identity, and lastly, live in light of your inheritance. You're an heir of all that belongs to God. And so generally speaking, you can invest your time, talent, and treasures just in your life in general. Your labor is not in vain, so you can give away your time. Listen, there's a lot of things I do with my time, a lot of some my scrolling on my phone in particular, that will be in vain. It will have been seen in vain. But anything that you do in the Lord, the promise is it will never be in vain. So you can give your time. Your skills, your talents, your spiritual gifts have a place in the kingdom. Maybe you haven't found it yet. Keep looking for where it will apply the application of those gifts and talents and skills into the kingdom. Find those places. And your resources are, are gospel ammunition used to blast holes in the very gates of hell. 
and give freely. That money we sent, and it was little money, like $1,200 we sent to Uganda. 31 families will be fed with that money. And in that, while everyone around those families, right, is seeing the government take from them, is seeing neighbors and and, uh, powerful people take from them, they'll see a group of people giving instead of taking, and their worldview will be challenged, and Jesus will be seen as beautiful, and those resources used as gospel ammunition will serve to, to change the world. Specifically, if you're a part of Mercy Village Church, you're called to be a member of Mercy Village Church, go all in. That's unique to each of us. We're all at different seasons in life. I don't get to tell you what that looks like. But between you and God and your family, as you determine what it looks like for you to be all in here as a part of Mercy Village Church, go into that with all that you want. And might those, that living in light of our identity and that living in light of our inheritance, might that bring more to faith and, and might God increase our faith that the gospel of Jesus has the power to break our chains and make us joy. Father, thank you that our future is incredibly bright. There's a lot of loss represented in this room. There's a lot of pain and hurt represented in this room. There's a lot of mistakes and shortcomings represented behind this pulpit and and in this room. But there is infinite hope represented in this room. And clearly, if all of us just look in the mirror for 10 seconds, we know it's not because of us. We didn't bring hope to the table, but you sent it in a person, your one and only son, Jesus. So we get to call you Papa, Dad. That's our identity. That's who we are. And and everything, right, in our old flesh and so many things in the world are going to try to drown out that reality. May we cling to it this week that we are your children. May we live in light of our identity and might we live in light of our inheritance. Might we give ourselves away for the sake of the kingdom. Our time, our treasures, our And in that, may people see Jesus as beautiful, as a breaker of chains and and an adopter of children. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.